The following audio is from Restoration Southside Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee, where our mission is to restore people and places through outreach, authenticity, and sacrifice. For more information, visit restorationsouthside.org. The scripture reading this morning is from Titus 1, 10 through 16. For there are many of you who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful game what they ought not teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. You may be seated. We continue our study of Titus this morning, and I want to be really clear because it's an intense passage. Paul is obviously communicating frustration and disdain for this group of people, and it would be easy for us to think he is going after people who are bad, who are the people who are way out there, far away from the church, far away from Jesus, that them there, the culture out there is so bad, and we have to keep things clean and good for ourselves and keep away from them. That's not what he's talking about. I'll show you specifically in the text. That's not what he's talking about. That the world is not a danger to the church. It's the church's teaching and what it embraces that can be a danger to the church. So, yes, Paul is going to be intense in this passage And we don't want to shy away from that. I just want us to be careful to realize who he's being intense with. It's a church planner writing to another church planner saying, be careful not to let these people lead in your church. And who is he talking about? Well, let's pray and ask God to bless our study of his word this morning. Lord, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? I thank you and praise you for your word and your Holy Spirit, and I ask that you would fall powerfully on us, that those who have misunderstood who you are would be encouraged and enlightened, for those who have been wounded by the church would be loved and held dear. But it's so easy for us to take our minds off the main thing, and I pray, God, that by your Holy Spirit you would point us at the main thing this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Prior to planting this church, I worked at Lookout Mountain Presbyterian Church, which is this phenomenal church, and it has this beautiful facility, and it takes a team of people to care for this facility. One of the guys who works there is a guy named Jerry Simmons, and Jerry is a guy who loves to to joke around, to give a hard time to, to tease, to go back and forth with. He was always telling me that my pants were too tight, I was always making fun of his golf swing. We just had this good kind of rapport together. And he liked when I gave him a hard time. I want you to know that. 
One of his jobs was to keep, whether it was the sanctuary or the fellowship hall or the carpets, he always had to keep all the floors clean with 1,300 people in and out. It was a massive job. And so whether he was vacuuming one of the classrooms or whether he was mopping the entire sanctuary or fellowship hall, no matter when I saw him with a mop or a vacuum or a broom in his hand, I would walk in, see it, and I'd say, Jerry, you missed a spot. Every time. Didn't matter which room it was. And I know that sounds mean, but trust me, he deserved it. You missed a spot. As if to say, yes, you might have cleaned all of this up, but there's still something dirty over there. You still have work to do. Well, that's who Paul is going after in this passage. It's the circumcision group. Yay, we get to talk about circumcision more. It's the circumcision group. The group that he's going after is this group of people who would say, yes, you can be a Christian. Yes, you can experience grace. But before you do that, you have to be circumcised. You have to go in through the door of Judaism. And once you're a full Jew, then you can be a full Christian. There are rituals and things that you've left undone. And until you become a Jew, before you become a Christian, you're not a full and complete inner rung Christian. It's as if they're saying the gospel plus Jewish traditions. That's what will get you all the way in. And that's who Paul hammers. It's not the world out there and the big bad people out there. What he hammers is people who would insidiously work their way into the church and in a place of authority and teach the gospel plus something else equals Jesus. And it's easy for us to say, how in the world could they have thought that it's the gospel plus circumcision and now you're a full Christian, when in reality we play the same game with ourselves all the time? The gospel plus a really good devotional life equals a full-orbed Christian. The gospel plus somebody who has conquered all the sexual sin in their life, those two things together really add up, really ought to get you covered. The gospel plus loving unbelievers well. The gospel plus giving generously. The gospel plus having all of the big sin out of your life. That all together should get you covered. And it's as if we look at ourselves and we say, we missed a spot. There's still something dirty. There's still something that needs attention. And sadly, we do that to one another. We interact with each other, comfortable with our own missing spots and yet we look at others and we make them feel like you missed a spot you're not there yet you're not full yet and very sadly we do this to the unbelieving world we treat a group of people who so desperately needs to draw near to be loved to be accepted and what we say to them as a prerequisite is that you missed a spot you've got to get cleaned up before you get cleaned up and all of it undermines the gospel of Jesus and all of it undermines who we're called to be. The reason Paul is so upset is because they're teaching a false gospel. They're saying Jesus plus Jewish rituals will get you in. What are the things that you add to the gospel? What are the things that you add to the gospel? What are the ways that you 
think that you contribute to your inner rung spot in this church. Well, I have Jesus and I have the fact that I give and I serve on Sundays and I'm really put to death most of the big sins. And if you don't think that's how you think, let me ask you this. When you fall into sin, what's your first instinct after you've given into sin is to feel rejection and dirty and, and, and as if you're unwelcome near Jesus or near others. And the reason that you feel that so intensely is because you actually believe when you weren't doing those things, you were sort of contributing to your holiness, your, your call from God. And now that you have given in to those things, you're no longer contributing. And so you have to sit in the back row. You have to earn your way back in. There's so much danger and legalism of looking at our lives and the lives of those around us saying, you missed a spot. And Paul calls them insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, and they're insubordinate to the gospel. That's who he's mad at. It's not people who don't know. Paul's planting a church for the sake of those that don't know. It's the people who are muscling their way into the center of the church and trying to take up authority and then saying the gospel, the free grace of Christ, which can transform you, plus these traditions and principles really ought to get you the way there. And Paul, because he loves people and he loves the free gospel of grace in Christ, says, don't hear it. Silence them. Muzzle them. Don't let them add one bit to the gospel. It's the reason that we often are shamed as God's people. Instead of walking around feeling peace and comfort and joy, just delighting in being God's people, the reason that we feel so shamed is because we do actually in our hearts function out of this sense that you've got to add something or you don't belong here. And Paul is hammering that and saying it's already been done in Christ. I'll give a brief aside here. He's saying that false teachers can work their way into the church and teach this and add to the gospel, and that's terrible. Sort of one of the applications of what he's saying is, is that we need good teachers who love the gospel and will protect it. And some of you are going to be called into vocational ministry. And it's not better than any other job. It's just different. But when you hear that call, answer it. The world is so tired of supposed Christians teaching false gospels and becoming famous for it. You feel the tug, the call of ministry, answer it. Protect people. That's why we do this job. It's to protect you from thinking or feeling or experiencing something other than the gospel. And if you're called to it, answer the call. Paul is fighting them out. These people that say the gospel plus circumcision, the gospel plus ritual. Once you get circumcised, you'll be all the way in. What does it sound like in your life? Once I'm done with this one sin, this one sin I keep going after, my, whether it's my eating disorder or whether it's lust and pornography or whether it's uh, covetousness and wanting someone that doesn't belong to me or whether it's my anger that I just impose upon my wife and my children. What it, 
What if it's my attitude, my total lack of love for Jesus, my total lack of generosity, whatever it is, you think, once I'm done with this big bad sin, then I'll be all the way in. And friends, that is no different than saying once you're fully circumcised, then you'll be all the way in. It's taking your dependence upon Christ and making it dependent on something else. Or for some of you, it's this. It's not just once I get rid of this bad thing. It's once I've started doing this good thing, once I'm at church every week, once I sing in church, once I serve for the church, once I do my devotions every single day and I don't forget that good thing plus Jesus really got to get me an inner ring seat. And what he's saying is do not add to the gospel. Do not add to the gospel. It's Jesus' life and Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection that got you in this thing. I know it seems like we're being humble when we're saying it's Jesus' rescue plus me trying really hard. It seems like it's the right thing to do, me trying really hard to contribute to it. But what it's saying is that in some way Jesus' Jesus' sacrifice for you only gets you so far. Maybe it gets you 98% of the way in. Maybe it gets you 90% of the way in. But then you've still got 10% of pull. We think it's humble. We think it's postured correctly to try and contribute to our place. And what it's saying is, is Jesus' work is not enough. It makes little of his work and it puts way too much pressure on your work. When I was in seminary, I was in a life group or an accountability group. And as young hotshot seminarians who all think they're going to go change the world. And we invited a seminary professor to come into our group just one time to kind of talk us through fighting with sin and difficulties. His name's Jerem Bars, who we invited in. He's still the godliest man I've ever met in my life. And I was explaining to him in a moment of vulnerability around these guys, I want to be a pastor, I want to be a good man, but I cannot stop wrestling with pornography and losing this losing this battle over and over again and then feeling shamed and then repenting and then giving in again. I just can't do it. Just hanging my head. Have you felt that way? And he said, Jared, the reason that it's so hard for you is you think that once you're done with that sin, You won't be perfect, but you'll be a pretty good guy. You'll have put all the other things behind you. You'll be a pretty good guy. You'll you'll be on an upward trajectory. And so that thing in your life is evidence of the fact that you're not there yet. And so it haunts you. And he said, Jared, fighting with sin is more like this. You wrestle and fight and work and pray and spend time and time in community. And you finally get this boulder of sin up on your shoulder and you roll it down the hill. And as you turn back around, there are a hundred more boulders in its place. He says, you don't identify yourself by your sin, by your struggle. You identify yourself by your Savior. Because he lived the life that you couldn't live. And you're further away from being perfect, Jared, than you think you are. And those words were such medicine for my soul because I felt as if the, the thing I needed to do to be all the way there 
It wasn't coming. And it wasn't coming because I already had it in Christ. Everything you need to walk through the pearly gates of heaven is right now already yours in Christ. You are not at a deficit. You are not 98% of the way there. And anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to you. What he's saying is that you have 100% of what you need and you get to live out of that gospel. Joyful reliance upon God. Tim Chester says this. Any question about living that begins what must I do or ends with is that enough is born of a legalistic approach that wants to limit godliness, diluting it down from a whole life commitment to a part-time project. I want you to hear that again. From a whole life commitment to a part-time project. Meaning instead of you saying I've been rescued 100% of the way and now I get to give my whole life, every breath, every thought, every action, every, every feeling, I get to give my whole self to the advancement of God's kingdom. It's saying, well, I'll be better if I read the Bible 20 minutes in the morning. Or I'll be better if I stop lusting. I'll be better if I stop envying and coveting. He says it takes all of holiness and breaks it down from a whole life commitment to a part-time project. See, we all have a little bit of legalism in us. There's the accomplished legalist. That means that you know what it's like. You know what you're supposed to do. You've embraced Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And now there's a list of things that you need to get working on. Praying and reading and worshiping and serving and giving. And you're actually keeping up with those and checking them off. And you're an accomplished legalist. Meaning you plus your to-do list plus Jesus get you all the way there. And some of you struggle with that. I'm doing better than most people are with their lists, and so I'm in a better place. Some of you struggle with that. And there are those others of you who can't even relate to that at all because all you see is that you're falling behind in the list. You know that the list is there, and you can't keep up with it. And it just keeps getting longer and longer every day, further and further away from Jesus. And what you have in common is that both Sides think something that you do or something that you don't do gets you in the inner circle in Christianity, gets you intimacy with Jesus. And he's saying both are wrong. What rescued you is Jesus. What will change you is Jesus. Whether you're a defeated legalist or an accomplished legalist, it makes obedience cheap. And so what does he say to this group of people who are trying to ruin the gospel of grace? He says, silence them, muzzle them. They have to be quiet. Not the big bad people out there, but the people in church leadership who are asking you the gospel plus this, and then you'll get in. What's so cool about what Paul does is that he's saying this, this Cretans quote, it's kind of a mean quote, And it's a historic quote, meaning it didn't just arrive in the Bible first. But it's this historic quote 
talking about how bad the Cretans are. And Paul takes the quote about how bad the Cretans are and puts it on the do-gooders. The people who think they're keeping up. And he says, oh, you're so bad, you're like the Cretans. Something they would have never believed about themselves because they're trying, they're invested, they're working at it. And Paul's saying, you're more like the Cretans, the punks, the sinners than you even know that you are. He's taking the Cretans and he's comparing them, the people who hate the rules, and he's comparing them to the people who love the rules. We have to remove and silence the legalism in our hearts which tell us it's Jesus plus a good life or Jesus plus a a killed sin or Jesus plus some good hobbies gets us all the way in. Being transformed is becoming like Jesus. It's not outdoing those around us in rules. You can't be a godly Christian by setting up rules as to what will keep or make you holy. So he says, muzzle those in the church trying to teach this. And then he says, rebuke, not muzzle. The ones who are trying to teach a false gospel, muzzle them, get them out. But for those who are believing in the false gospel, rebuke them. Rebuke them. Let them know that that's not going to lead you anywhere good. And we don't rebuke people who believe in a false gospel for the sake of us feeling right. We don't do it for the sake of embarrassing someone else. We do it, he says it right in the text. Therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. He says, if you're going to rebuke someone, it has to be so that they'll be sound in the faith. The irony is the world is used to us rebuking them for not being holy enough. But Paul rebukes the church for making holiness sound like something that you can contribute to. Do you see the irony? We look at the world and go, why aren't you better than you are? And Paul looks straight at the church and says, why don't you start with yourselves? Why don't you start again with the gospel? Are you aware of the false teachers in your life? Because the biggest false teacher in your life is you. The whispers, you've got to do more, you've got to do more, you've got to do more. The whispers, you've got to stop doing this. You've got to stop doing this. You've got to stop doing this. How are you still doing this? And again, it's defining you on terms of what you've done or not done instead of on your rescue from Jesus. Guard your heart from people adding to the gospel. Be careful about what you think about. Be careful of who you listen to. Be careful to be surrendered to the gospel because Paul says here they're ruining the church. Rebuke them. Cretans are liars, evil beasts, gluttons. This testimony is true. Rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. 
They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Remember, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. And the way that they're working is as if they can contribute to their salvation or rescue. That's the work that they're doing. I've often used the story of Saving Private Ryan. It's a powerful World War II story. I'm going to focus on a different section of the movie this time. You, you may have seen the movie. It's an epic World War II movie about these guys who are sent to go and save Private Ryan because all of his brothers have been killed in the director of war decides that this one boy should get to go home so his mother hasn't lost everybody. And so they go on this siege throughout France, wandering their way all the way to Ryan. And then when they finally get to Ryan, he doesn't want to come with them. He doesn't want to be rescued. He wants to stay. He's lost all his brothers. And he says, these are the only brothers I have in my life. And finally, and Tom Hanks rescuing him and pulls him near and says, earn this. Earn this. Earn it, Ryan. And then as you're looking at that powerful moment where Ryan is supposed to, he's been given the gift of life and now he's supposed to earn it. It, it fades away and all of a sudden his face turns into the older Matt Damon. This old man at the end of his life standing on the beaches of Normandy in front of all the graves and he's there with his wife and his children and his grandchildren and he falls on his knees and his wife rushes over to check on him and he says, tell me I've been a good man. Tell me I'm a good man. And you can tell that this thought has haunted him that he had to earn it and yet he's not sure he did. He's not sure it was enough. And friends, if you rest on things other than Christ, you'll have this sense of this fear of no matter how far you get in life, tell me I'm a good man, tell me I'm a good woman, tell me I've been enough, is it ever going to be enough? And Jesus says, it is finished. The gospel of grace didn't get you 99% of the way in, it got you 100% of the way in. You went from an enemy of God to an adopted son or daughter of God. You went from having no righteousness to having the righteousness of Jesus, to having no future, to having future where you'll reign alongside Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. This anxiety of, tell me I'm a good man, we all know that. And he's saying, guard your heart. Ultimately, it's Jesus who draw near, drew near. It's Jesus who lived the life you couldn't live. So all the times you feel like you come up short, he didn't come up short. All the times temptation, you fight it and you fight it and you fight it and you finally give in, he never gave in. All the good habits you want to have but don't have, he had them. And so he takes his 100% record and puts it on you and takes your record and it gets nailed to a tree. Do not let your spiritual life be defined by what you don't yet have, what you haven't started doing yet. Let it be defined by Christ and Christ alone. So you can say, I'm not a good man. I'm not a good woman. 
but someone was on my behalf. And so I'm going to live walking around with joy and peace because I'm all the way there. Let's pray. Father, each one of us have things that we can add to the gospel. Whether or not we've put together, put to death all of our lustful and coveting behaviors, even things in our lives where we feel like once we're finally married, then we'll be whole, then we'll be welcome. Once we outlive the shame of this divorce, then then we'll be fully welcome. Once we start living a better life now than we did before, then we'll be welcome. And it's an attempt at being humble, God. It's an attempt at taking you seriously. But it misses the point. That the door is wide open. The welcome mat has been laid out. And that you came and chased us to bring us home. Please let us learn to defend, to define ourselves and who we're loved by instead of what we've done or not done. It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.